Thank you for downloading Peter Smythe's podcast. Support for this podcast comes from your generous gifts and donations. You can find out more about Peter and this work at smythe.tv. If you have your Bibles, turn over to Mark chapter 8. While you're turning there, let me put you in remembrance of a few things. The first thing is Mark chapter 1 and verse 1. There, Mark writes this. He says, The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Or the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mark makes it plain that we are reading a gospel. In fact, he might be the first writer ever to say that he's writing a gospel. He's not writing a biography. He's not writing an anecdotal history. He is writing a transformative gospel. How do we know that? Well, Paul says in Romans that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. So when we hear the gospel, we know that it's transformative. In fact, listen to what James writes about hearing the word. He says, Welcome with meekness the implanted or engrafted word that has the power to save your souls. The word is transformative, and that's why we need to hear it. Now, James says that the word has the power to save our souls. Our souls are the seat of our personality. Our souls are who we are. We are spiritual beings with souls that live in bodies. In fact, when you go back to Genesis, Genesis has the best description. In Genesis, I think it's 1-7, we read this. We read that God created man from the dust of the earth and breathed into him the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Now, when you read that God created man from the dust of the earth, you also read in Genesis that he created the animals from the dust of the earth. And we know that animals have personalities. You know, you have a dog, and that dog has a different personality than the next dog does, or the cat, or whatever. But the thing is, their souls aren't eternal. When animals die, they're gone. They're extinguished. But what God did with man was something very different, vitally different. He breathed into him the breath of life, and man became a living soul, or what you might say, an eternal soul. So his personality is actually eternal. You are who you are, and you're going to be that way forever. You're never going to be extinguished. You're never not going to exist. You're always going to exist. Now, the thing about the gospel is, the gospel is spiritual, and you're a spiritual being. So when you hear the gospel, the gospel is actually transformative. And we see that all through Mark's gospel um, by implication. Because when you read through Mark's Mark's gospel, he makes it plain that when the gospel is heard, people either receive it 
or they reject it. There's no neutrality. There's no middle ground. There's no sitting on the sidelines. You're either in with the gospel and it changes you. And actually, we know from Paul, it changes you from glory to glory. Or you reject it. And that's, that's got a negative effect on your soul. So with that in mind, let's deal with today's text. And that is Mark 8, verses 34 and 38. Now, before we get into the text itself, let's set the scene. Jesus is with his disciples at Caesarea Philippi, and he's taken a break from ministry. The first seven chapters, you see that Jesus, it's almost like rushing through. It's almost like the fugitive where Jesus is a man on the run in ministry. You see all kinds of things going on. He's in the... He's in the synagogues casting out demons. People are coming to the house to be cured. He is feeding thousands of people with very little food. He's calming storms. He's doing all kinds of things. And then they rest at Caesarea Philippi. And resting there, Jesus asked his disciples, Who do men say that I am? And they respond to him and they say, Well, some say you're Elijah. Some say you're John the Baptist. Others say you're one of the prophets. Well, Jesus didn't stop there. He says, who do you say that I am? And Peter pipes in and he says, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. Or in other words, you're the deliverer of Israel. And Jesus, with that, goes into how what Mark says, the Son of Man would undergo many sufferings, be rejected by the elders, the priests, and the scribes, and then eventually be killed. Now, Peter stands up and he says, we're not going to let that happen. You know, a natural human response. And Jesus dresses him down and says, get behind me, Satan, for you have on your mind the things of men and not the things of God. And we covered that in a prior sermon. But now we come to the next small section of discourse, and that's verses 34 through 38. So let's read. And having called the crowd with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For he who wants to save his soul will lose it. And he who loses his soul because of me and the gospel will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? For what might a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of the Father and the holy angels. Now let's go back up with this text and let's figure out exactly what Jesus is saying. First of all, the first thing I want you to notice is that he calls a crowd. So he's speaking to his disciples privately and then he, he either stands up or he does something. He calls a crowd to hear what he's about to say. And this is a signal that this message applies to anyone 
It is an open invitation. And it applies to us today too. Verse 34 says, And having called the crowd with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Actually, another way to say it is, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now, here's the interesting thing about this. We all live in 21st century Christianity, and crosses are all over the place. I mean, you've got rock stars wearing crosses. We can go to the malls and buy, you know, crosses, crucifixes. We can buy them in gold, silver, wood, leather. We can have them inlaid with diamonds. We can do whatever we want with them. We pass by churches, and there are signs with crosses. We have newsletters with crosses and everything else. The cross has been glamorized, and part of that is due to current preaching that glorifies the cross. But you see, here in this scene, Jesus hadn't yet been to the cross. He is talking to people who are intimately familiar with crucifixion, but not in the way that we are. What's their experience with crucifixion? Well, they had crucifixions happening all around them because that was the way that Rome executed enemies of the state. So when Jesus said, pick up your cross, all everybody in the crowd must have just been staring at one another because of what this meant to them at the time. I mean, imagine this. You are living in Caesarea Philippi, and you're intimately familiar with crucifixion because you see it happen all around you. Men and some women are required to carry the cross beams of their crosses through the towns in humiliation and shame all the way up to where they're supposed to be crucified. And then they're nailed to crosses where they, where they suffer just immense horrifying suffering until they finally suffocate, which might be days later. And then they're left up for the animals and the vultures to eat their bodies after they've died. Not really something that's fashionable or stylistic, is it? It was a symbol of shame and humiliation. It was shame and humiliation that these condemned prisoners, uh, what Rome did is wanted to show the world, show everyone that these people were enemies of the state and it did everything it could to humiliate them before it finally snuffed them out. The cross was not glorified then. But Jesus says to this crowd and his disciples, deny yourself and pick up your cross. Now, let's deal with this. He must deny himself. What is Jesus talking about there? Why does he say this? Well, if you, if you look at the entire gospel in Mark, you see that chapter 8 represents a turning point, a turning of the corner, so to speak. 
Jesus has this fantastic um, prophetic ministry of miracles, the Spirit on him, all kinds of things going on. But in chapter 8, he changes where he starts to set his face towards Jerusalem. Because it's in Jerusalem, he just told his disciples that the chief priests and scribes, he's going to be rejected by Israel. There's not going to be any faction of Israel that holds out for him. He's going to be rejected by everybody. And in fact, Mark reports that he's rejected even by his disciples who are standing there. But you see, in in facing Jerusalem, Jesus is picking up his own cross. And he's denying himself. He's denying himself by honoring and fulfilling the Father's will. Listen to this. Paul writes this in Romans 15. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. Now that's a quote from Psalm 69:9. And what the, what the psalmist there is prophesying about Jesus and he's prophesying that the insults, the insults of those who insult God the Father, the rejection of God the Father has fallen on Jesus. So, what he's telling this crowd and the disciples is that if you want to follow me, you must deny yourself the same way that I'm denying myself in my walk in my walking out the will of the Father, of the one who sent me. Remember that Jesus sent us, you know, as, as I have received, so send I you. He said that to the church. And this is a precursor to that, where he says, you've got to deny yourself and you've got to be willing to pick up the cross. You have to be willing to be shamed and humiliated because of me and my words. Now listen to this. This is also from the Apostle Paul. He writes in Galatians 6.14, May I never boast of anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. This is a small description of what Jesus is talking about. Now, Now notice this with Paul. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, he's writing to Corinthian Christians and he's talking about the resurrection and he tells them, he says, hey, if Jesus had never been resurrected, then our faith is in vain and we're all still in our sins. I mean, the, the cross wasn't the ultimate. The ultimate was the resurrection. The cross was the means to the end. And he knows that. But here in Galatians, he writes, May I never boast of anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, why is he saying that? Because it's all about the denial of self. It's not the denial of something from self, but it's the denial of self itself. It's utter abandonment to the will of God. 
May I never boast of anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Another way of saying it is, may I never boast of anything except fulfilling the will of God that he has set out for me. And that's what Jesus is talking about here in front of his disciples in the crowd. Listen to something else that Paul wrote in Galatians. He said, It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. He is a living example of what Jesus is calling his disciples to do in Mark 8. If anyone wants to follow after me, he must deny himself. He must empty himself of his own identity and his own self-determination. And he must throw himself on the will of God. Well, we see that here in Galatians 2.20, because Paul writes, it's no longer I who live. Total self-denial. But it's Christ who lives in me. He abandoned everything about himself to fulfill the will of God. Remember, remember Paul's story on the road to Damascus? He says that, he tells us that he was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He was a Pharisee. And as a Pharisee, he would have nothing to do with the Gentiles. The Gentiles were unclean. The Gentiles were like pigs. I mean, he wouldn't sit down and even eat with them. And he's on the road to Damascus in what he said was trying to destroy the church and Jesus appears to him. And Paul, being converted there, he says, what do you want me to do? And what does Jesus say to him? He says, Paul, I've called you to take my name to the Gentiles. You know, he could have said, what? No, 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 no. I mean, I can do anything but that, Lord. I can do, you know, send me to the Jews. Those are my brothers. Those are the people I'm comfortable with. No, Jesus says, no, you're going to take my gospel to the Gentiles. And not only that, you're going to suffer for my namesake. That's about the worst thing that the, or the hardest thing that the Lord Jesus Christ could have said to the Apostle Paul. And what did Paul do? Well, he testifies, it's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. He fulfilled that calling. Later on in the book of Acts, in defending his ministry, he said, I have not been disobedient to the heavenly vision. I have not been disobedient to the will of God. Even though it's, it's constituted shame and humiliation for me personally, it's no longer I that live, but it's Christ that lives in me. And that's what Jesus is calling everyone to do. Not just some disciples. Notice that he called a crowd. So this invitation, or actually you might even call it a mandate, is not for those just called to the ministry. It's not for the full-time preacher. It's for every Christian. It's for every follower of Christ. Where we can all, in our moleskins, in our notebooks, in our journals, we can write, it's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. It's not something to attain. Notice that Paul, Paul in Galatians doesn't say, well, I want to get to the point where I can write, it's no longer me that lives, 
but Christ who lives in me. No, he says, it is no longer I that live. He's a living testimony to what? Self-denial. He is a living testimony to what Jesus is saying here. So we can't get out of it and say, well, you know, Jesus picked up his cross, but that's the Lord Jesus. You know, he's in a class by himself. Now the Apostle Paul says it here in Galatians. And then he says, I'm not going to boast in anything except the cross of Christ. He's not talking about the plan of salvation there. He's talking about laying his own life down for the Lord. Hallelujah. Okay, so let's move on. That's verse 34. 35. Jesus explains, he said, For he who wants to save his soul will lose it. And he who loses his soul because of me and the gospel will save it. What's he saying there? He's talking about the self-denial. You want to save your own self-will? You want to save your own self-determination? You want to go it on your own? Well, then you're going to lose your soul in the end. But he who loses his soul, he who denies himself because of me and the gospel... He's going to save it. That's what Jesus is saying. Verse 36, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? For what might a man give in exchange for his own soul? Now Jesus here, he's not speaking into the air. He's, he hasn't become philosopher. He's walked this walk himself. Remember? He had the temptation in the wilderness. Let me read you what Luke's report is about the temptation in the wilderness. In verse 5, he writes, Then the devil led him up and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, To you, and in Greek, it's emphatic, almost like the devil is a used car salesman, have I got a deal for you and just for you? I will give you their glory and all this authority, for it's been given over to me. Remember, that was Adam. And I give it to anyone I please. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. So you go to verse 36 in Mark 8. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world? Well, there it is. Jesus was offered the whole world. Satan said in a flash, he said, here it is. I'm giving you everything I've got. All you have to do is just bow down and worship me. Now, we know the story of the temptation. Jesus answers him and says, it's written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Self-denial. Jesus didn't try to rationalize things out and say, well, you know what? I can do a lot for the Lord if I have the whole world in my hands. No. He knew what his mission was and he knew what the Father's will was. And he said, nope, I'm going to worship the Lord my God only and serve him only. So it's not like in Mark 8, he didn't walk, hadn't walked the walk or he was speaking into the air. 
He has walked this, and we're supposed to be his followers. We can't say, well, you're asking too much because he actually paved the way. He cut the path himself. Amen. Amen. The irony to verse 36, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Is that Jesus is the only one who was offered the whole world. The rest of us, we exchange our whole soul, our souls for something a whole lot less than the whole world. You know, men exchange their souls for money. They exchange their souls for wisdom, some kind of sin, some kind of career, some kind of whatever. For a whole lot less. But notice something here, too, in verse 36. The implication is, what Jesus implies is that any man's soul is worth more than the whole world put together. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? A man's soul, eternal soul, is worth more than the whole world. And Jesus said, you want to save it? Well, you pick up your cross and you deny yourself. That's how you'll save it. Now let's go on to Mark 8.38. Because this is the clincher. This is where he kind of wraps it up. And he says, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father and the holy angels. Now look at that first line. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation. Notice the contrast there. Jesus in his words versus an adulterous and sinful generation. Now, we've heard the gospel preached in this generation that, well, the world should be very happy to receive the gospel because it's all good, you know? But Jesus has a contrast here. In fact, the implication is this adulterous and sinful generation is going to make you ashamed of me and my words. It will do whatever it can to make you ashamed of me in my words. And then he says, if that happens and you are ashamed, why would we be ashamed? Well, because we haven't denied ourselves or our own self-determination in this world. Remember Paul's companion Demas? He was a fellow servant of Paul in one book. But then Paul later on in Timothy says, Demon, Demas abandoned him because he loved the world. He said, I've had enough. I've had enough of this self-denial. I've had enough of denying myself. He loved the world. So Jesus says here, he gives the implication that if you love him in his words, well, you're going to have a problem with the adulterous and sinful generation, or the adulterous and sinful generation is going to have a real problem with you. But he says, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed of me. And the way that we're not ashamed of him goes back to verse 36, or 34, 
actually, he must deny himself and pick up his cross. And Jesus says, The Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father and the holy angels. Well, there's that phrase, the Son of Man again. Why is he referred to Son of Man? Well, when you go to Daniel 7, you see that Daniel 7 is about a vision that Daniel had. The interpretation of the vision involves suffering. And when you go through the study of that vision, you see that the suffering involves the Son of Man as the representative of the Holy Ones. There's another side to the vision, though. And let me read it to you. Because it's so cool. Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14, Daniel writes this. As I watched in the night visions, I saw one like unto the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. And he came to the Ancient One and was presented before him. To him was given dominion and glory and kingship that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that shall not pass away, and his kingship is one that shall never be destroyed. Well, that's, that's the aspect of the, the Son of Man that Jesus is speaking about in verse 38. The glorified Son of Man. And you see, Jesus identifies himself as the Son of Man, and he's coming back to the planet. So here in verse 38, he basically says, those of you who were ashamed of me in this adulterous and sinful generation, this generation that that humiliated me and shamed me and crucified me, if you're ashamed of me with that, Well, then when I come back in my glory, I'll be ashamed of you. So what's the message here? Well, it's pretty clear, isn't it? As Christians, we are to deny ourselves. We're to follow after what we read with Paul. Our boasting isn't in what we've accomplished. Our boasting is in the cross of Christ. It's actually how empty we can make ourselves to be. Paul shows us that he said, it's no longer I that live. What a testimony that is. Can we write that down? Are we able to write that down, any one of us, to say, it's no longer I that live, but it's Christ? And then even send it to other Christians and not be laughed to scorn about it. Oh, well, look at him. Look at Smythe. He thinks he's Christ. Come on. Paul wrote it with all seriousness. It's no longer I that live, but it's Christ that lives in me. And the, I, the life that I live now in the flesh, the life that I'm living right now, I live by the faith, the faithfulness of the Son of God. It was no joke to him And it should be no joke to us. And it shouldn't be any joke to those who receive us. They should be able to have the testimony of us. You know that guy? You know that that guy over there? Yes, he's Christ. It's no longer him that lives, but it's Christ in him. 
and it's clear to the world. With Paul, it was clear, and he had no problem. He didn't have a false humility. Oh, yeah, you know, I'm just, uh, I'm just trying to get along the way that Christianity uh, preaches things today. He said, no, it's no longer I that live. Total self-denial. He had picked up his cross in the footsteps of the Lord, in the footsteps of the Savior. We need to do the same. Now, I live and I preach in the United States. And the United States is all about work. You hear things about America and it's about, hey, we're workers. We're all about career. We have what you might call a career narrative. Americans are defined by their work. But listen to what the philosopher James Shelby says about this career narrative because he raises questions about it. Listen to this. Careers are not privileges nor rights. They are just popular strategic approaches to surviving life in modern capitalistic societies. And then he asks the question about what do you take away from your career? Because so many of us, so many of us Christians in the United States, we bank everything on career. You know, that we fulfill our career, we have fulfilled the will of God somehow. Listen to Shelby. When you retire and pass along your position to the next senior bucket filler, eagerly waiting in line for your position, what do you take away with you? And that's a real good question. What do you take away with you? It's another way of saying, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world? and lose his own soul. What does it profit a man to come to the end of a career and give up his soul for that career? What, what profits him? Jesus shows us here in this discourse that discipleship is a reciprocal relationship. It takes self-denial. And it's not simply that you want to follow Jesus. You know, Mark doesn't record this. He doesn't record that Jesus says, if anyone wants to follow after me, and then somebody chimes and says, hey, I want to follow after you. And Jesus says, hey, kudos to you, man. You want to follow after me? Hey, you're in the group. Come on. No. Jesus lays it down and he lays it down extremely hard. You want to follow after me? You pick up your cross. You pick up your willingness to endure shame and humiliation if that's what the Father's will is. And we see it in the Apostle Paul's life. We also see it in the Apostle Peter's life and the life of a lot of apostles. Because the Christian life is one of sacrifice. It's one of selflessness. And if there's any question about that, well, you can look at the Apostle Paul. He is the one who had the revelation of Christ in us, the hope of glory. He's the one with the revelation that we have died with him, was buried with him, and we were raised together with him and sit with him at God's right hand. But then he says, may I never boast in anything except the cross of Christ. He's talking about his own self-denial. 
his own lack of self-determination for that of what? For that of what Jesus had for him. And we also need to do the same. Jesus, by this discourse, by what he says here, expects nothing less than that. He expects his disciples to walk the same walk that he did. Nothing less. As we said, the writer of Hebrews, he writes that Jesus didn't shrink back. And you know, Jesus could have. I know that there's a lot of preaching out there that kind of presupposes that Jesus, everything, everything was predestined. That if Jesus, you know, he couldn't have um, given in to the temptation. And he had to go to the cross even though he didn't want to and all that. Well, no, the Bible portrays something very, very different from that. He had self-will and self-determination. He could have turned the course anytime he wanted to. As before Pilate, he says, what? Don't you think that I could call down 12 legions of angels if I wanted to? The thing is, he didn't. Why? He wanted to fulfill the Father's will. So it should be the same with us. We should have the same kind of tenacity, the same kind of intensity. Even, even the same as John the Baptist said, he must increase and I must decrease. So the takeaway from this message is we all need to get to the place of the Apostle Paul that says, it is Christ that lives in me. It's no longer me, but it's Christ in me. Hallelujah. That way we can say it's Christ in me. He does the work. Remember Jesus saying that about the Father? It's the Father. He does the work. You know, well, we can say it's Christ in me. He does the work. Hallelujah. Where he gets all the glory he gets all the glory for it, and we have no glory in it because we are in him. We are fully, fully in him, swallowed up in him. Amen. So that concludes the sermon today. Let's, uh, let's move to the benediction. Now may the God of peace who brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant, May he make you complete in every good so that you may do his will. Him working among us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. We are 100% listener supported. You may lend your support at smythe.tv.